The What to Know podcast explores best practices, innovation, and latest trends with industry experts with an eye toward helping you, the listener, stay ahead of the ever-changing marketing and communications landscape. Good morning. This is Aaron Strout, the CMO of W2O Group and the host of the What to Know podcast. I am sitting here today with um, the founding partner of Halogen Ventures, among many other things, Jesse Draper. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me, Aaron. I really appreciate it. I'm happy to have you. And uh, I have to tell people, just because I always like to give a little context, today's been a little crazy. We're in San Francisco. Jesse's up here from LA. And uh, the power was out for about two hours. And so made her commute fun, made the logistics. Fortunately, the podcast that we, uh, the unit that we record on is on batteries. But um, I appreciate the fact that you're so zen in spite of all the curveballs that we've been thrown today. Yeah, it was very fun. You have your amazing assistant. Um, what was or what's Renee. her name? Renee. Yes. I think we need to shout out to Renee because she called me. She's like, so all the power is out in San Francisco. So you need to walk up a whole bunch of stairs. And but she really gave me great instructions. And I'm here. Yes. And fortunately, we're on the fourth floor, not the 20th the floor 50th, yeah. Yeah, or the 50th. <laughs> Otherwise, I may have come down to you and we would have done this outside. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I want to dive in. And so here's the funny thing. And that is, I was telling you before, I have three kids and the oldest two are, you know, almost 18 and, and 15. Um, they watched the show that you were on called the Naked Brothers Band, <laughs> which I think is probably one of the first things you, you did in your career. Yeah. We'll get into the more, you know, the venture and the, the business side. But um, talk a little bit about like what that was like. And I think you were doing the show with two of your cousins, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. I mean, it was a dream. Like, it's like every 19 year old's dream. I went to college, I went to UCLA for theater, film, and TV, uh, their uh, TFT school. Um, and I studied, you know, theater and entertainment. And um, my aunt was an actress. So I always wanted to be an actress, like my aunt. And I always, uh, you know, she's incredible and she's an incredible leader. Um, but this is Polly. This is Polly Draper. She was a very successful actress. And um, she's always who I looked up to where my mom worked because she had four kids and um, it was incredibly admirable. But really, the only woman I knew who worked in my life was my Aunt Polly. And so I thought that's what what women did. Um, and so I always wanted to be an actress. So, yeah, like we we make silly videos all the time as a family. And Polly called me one summer and said, it was when I was in college and said, Hey, we're going to make a movie, a family movie. And I said, Oh, okay. Like it, it was like a family movie. Um, and then I got that there. That brings a whole different meaning to family oh, to- movie. But <laughs> totally. I got there and it was like a legit production. Um, and, um, we made an independent film as a family. It was kind of a mockumentary. Um, and we did a lot of my family was included. My um, uncle and I were the only adults on the show, and most of my coworkers were under the age of eleven when we began. Um, but we made this movie, and then it got picked up on Nickelodeon. I auditioned for Nickelodeon, and um, I walked out of college onto a Nickelodeon show on a hit Nickelodeon show, and it was Days of Miley Cyrus, and uh, it was a dream. I feel so lucky, and the coolest thing about that for me was really. Um, learning how a production was run. Um, the first year we'd film for about six months out of the year and then we'd have six months off. And the first year I auditioned and I did the typical actress thing you would do after like, you know, um, after when you're on hiatus. And then I realized, you know, I come from this world of technology. It's really all I know. My dad's been so supportive of uh, me, you know, opening doors for me as far as being in 
technology used to bring me to business conferences. And um, I just said, you know, my heart's really in this kind of like tech world. And so the next year I took that six months and made a TV show called The Valley Girl Show. Um, And uh, it was horrible. Like the first season, I leave those episodes up. Um, They're so bad, but they remind me how far I've come. But I literally duct taped like lamps to the wall. I didn't know how lighting worked. I didn't know how cameras worked. My brothers were my first hires and my first fires. We did it out of my parents' garage. Um, My brother, one of them, got bored in the middle of an interview with um, Eric Schmidt, who I, some. it was early days of Google. I'd somehow convinced him to come over to my parents' garage to do an interview. Um, My brother got bored in the middle of the interview and put the camera on the ground. He was very quickly fired. Um, You know, I learned fast. Don't hire your brothers when they're in high school. But um, then we, um, the next season I went back and I always give credit to Albie Hecht who now runs um, HLN, which is like CNN's sister station, because I said, hey, Albie, could I come and sit in on a production meeting? Um, I don't know how to run a show and I just tried to run a show. And he, uh, he really opened that door for me. And the next year I went back and I learned a lot. So in addition to being an actress, I, I got to participate in all of the production meetings. And I really think those early mentors are the important people in your life, you know, who really help you, you take it to the next level. So yeah, Nickelodeon kind of, it just started my career and it feels, I feel like the luckiest girl in the world in the world. So one of the things I love is, and we talked about this as we were prepping, um, we'll get into it, but with the Valley Girl Show, you have had some really impressive guests, obviously Eric Schmidt being one, um, Elon Musk, uh, Sheryl Sandberg, I think MC Hammer was one that was mentioned. Yes, I love him. Any particular one, and maybe it is MC, that stood out as your favorite or the most fun that you did? Uh, MC Hammer is definitely just awesome, Um, but I... I love all of them. I mean, I interviewed over 500 guests in the last 10 years, and I've learned from all of them. You know, I think some of my favorites were the ones like um, I went to Scotland and did a whole series of Scotland tech companies um, for the University of Edinburgh. And one of those companies was the FanDuel guys um, who now run a multiple billion dollar company. they were two or three guys in a room. I interviewed Tom Griffiths, one of the founders uh, in Scotland. And the the funniest thing, and I feel like if I bump into him, he'll be very upset that I'm saying this, but I'm going to share. The funniest thing about that is, well, first of all, I've had him on the show since then. And he's he always gives the Valley Girl Show credit for being his first press interview. But they didn't know anything about football because they were from Scotland. and they American were football. American football. And so they were running this fantasy sports site and for a whole bunch of sports, soccer or American soccer. And they um, they the football sort of like vertical just took off for them. And so then when I started bumping into him at things in uh, the United States, I just thought it was the funniest thing because, you know, he didn't know a thing about football and he's running one of the most successful fantasy sports football oriented companies. Yeah. Apparently didn't get in his way of success. Yeah. So like, I love those companies that I got to see grow. I mean, you know, I was one of the first people to interview Sheryl Sandberg before she went on this whole press tour. 
Um, I found out she was an aerobics instructor and I broke some news that's been quoted in the Wall Street Journal. Um, She's been very just supportive and was such it was such a memorable interview for me. But there's there's so many um, that I I remember. But I think the FanDuel guys, I just love seeing how big that company's gotten. Yeah, that's incredible. And so I think one of the things that you've touched on is you've had this the fortune and wherewithal to talk to some of these amazing companies and catching them early. You also have the benefit as you've you know built this company on your own that we'll we'll talk more about. Um, but you come from a long line of successful venture capitalists. Um, I think you're fourth in line, and I know your dad is Tim, your grandfather is Bill, and I can't remember what your great grandfather's name is, but. That's pretty impressive. Like, I don't know many people that have more than maybe a father-son, father-daughter, mother-son, mother-daughter relationship. So was there pressure on you or was it just one of those natural things that you mentioned your dad used to take you to tech conferences? So you kind of grew up probably expecting like, oh, this is the way life is and this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Yeah, you know, I think I was brought up in technology, but as I mentioned, I thought that what women did, I think it's so important for people to see more women in high-powered technology positions because while I only knew technology and would go to all these conferences with my dad, I think I think I think a lot of things people don't realize is like first of all, he's the most incredible father of all time. He's so involved, um but he he brought me to Estonia. Um, for the first Skype board meeting, I participated in the very first Skype ever video chat. Um, I tested AIM before most people had ever tested AIM. He, um, he. Uh, That's old, old school chat for yeah, those for of you AOL. that are not old enough to remember AOL <laughs> and how chat got, well, I guess that was second. It was uh, internet relay chat started before AIM, but AIM was really the thing that made it uh, globally popular. Yeah, totally. And he, uh, I mean, he brought like he was just all I knew was technology, but I thought I was I wanted to be an actress like my like any, you know, teenager. Um, And um, so so I think when I created this show, I kind of merged the entertainment world and my uh, technology background. Um, But yeah, there's definitely to answer your question, I. I don't think I felt pressure from my dad so much as I didn't know anything other than what it was to be an entrepreneur. So where on the Nickelodeon show, you're more of a body that they move and uh, create and you are someone else's vision. Um, The Valley Girl was something that I built and created and um, turned into a business. Um, And, you know, through the Valley Girl show uh, to get into kind of what I'm doing now, um, I realized very quickly, um, which was kind of my journey in life too, being a fourth generation investor and the first female in line, I was like, this is so cool. All of these incredible people, Elon Musk, um, Eric Schmidt, these, these people are so incredible. Where's the women? And so five or six years ago, I started trying to interview 50% women in technology, which was really difficult um, until about five or six years ago. And now we're seeing them in more places. And I give a lot of credit to fashion technologies. We had um, Jen Hyman from Rent the Runway and the Guilt Girls putting themselves out there. Um, And because they put themselves out there, it made it okay for Cheryl Sandberg to put herself out there, for, um, you know, great healthcare CEOs to put themselves out there, for um, Alexa Von Tobel, who ran LearnVest, a fintech company, to put herself out there. And I think it made it okay. So that's my personal opinion that fintech really kind of opened up this world. 
but I wanted to give women in tech more media exposure. And then simultaneously, I would find these great female founded deals through the show. People were pitching me. Um, it was one of the first startup tech shows, talk shows. Um, and so I, um, I started writing $10,000 checks and investing in a couple of these deals. Um, I made a 25 X return on one in less than 18 months. And, um, I just, it was a business I knew so well because I'd been investing my whole life. My dad, you know, taught me how to buy my first stock when I was in eighth grade and I liked Barbie. And so I like bought Mattel. I still own that, that one or two shares now, I think of Mattel. Um, and uh, I have it like framed in my office. Um, so investing is something while private investing is very different than public, uh, investing. It's something that I just knew, uh, from my upbringing, everything, even the words, my, my friends used to comment on the words I used, like I'm going to invest in a pair of jeans. I am going to, you know, you use all this sort of terminology. Um, but then, uh, yeah, so now I'm running Halogen Ventures and, uh, I just wanted to keep doing what I'd been doing, uh, you know, by investing in these female founded consumer tech companies. Um, and so Halogen, we invest in, in women run companies, which has been going really incredibly well. Well, that's helpful. And so, uh, I did an interview recently with a guy named Chris Redlitz. He runs a, a, a fund called uh, venture, I'm sorry, transmedia capital. Clearly you have a few different legs of the stool already. You like tech, particularly consumer tech women founded or CEO'd is certainly, you know, a nice criteria uh, and a very clear criteria. One of the things Chris and I talked about is who does he look for in a founder, you know, or what is, what do you look for in a company? And we talked a little bit about this again in our pre-prep with uh, Jim. Um, what, what are some of those criteria that you look for in terms of who's going to be successful and who isn't? And, you know, how do you know? It seems like you've got it in your DNA, but I'm sure there's been a point where you've been asked and you've had to bring that to the surface of, you know, this is, this is how I know it's not just gut. Totally. And I think, you know, part of it can be DNA, but you still have to have experience and, um, know what you're doing. But, you know, I get asked this question a lot and I love it. And so I, I try to think of the things that most people wouldn't say. So I obviously am looking for market size. You want a billion dollar market. I obviously, you know, want a great product. I do early stage investing. So sometimes there's um, customers, sometimes there aren't. Sometimes the product's not fully built. I like to get in as early as I can. But the things that I look for are less tangible. And it's it's about a founder. Every you know, I think it's important at this stage you are definitely betting on people and the team. I like to see co-founders who have complementary skills. But one of the more unique things I think that I look for is um, uh, someone labeled it as coachability the other day, but I look at it. It's to me, it's sort of bigger than that. Where um, I want to know that you are so um, open that you, you know, you start a company, you can't plan on going in one direction the whole time. Every company pivots. You go in many different directions. I want to know that you're going to sit there across the table from me and build this crazy, enormous idea for a company um, 
just brainstorm this huge idea and roll with the punches I'm throwing you as far as like, well, what if we did this? And what if this crazy thing happened? And what if you ended up pivoting to B2B? And I want to know that you will roll with it. So I put founders through all these crazy kind of tests where, well, I consider them tests, where sometimes I'll bring them with me to events and see if they can hang and that they will put themselves out there and make the most of every opportunity. Um, But there was one particular founder that I met with that um, was sort of the opposite of of this openness and I didn't end up investing but you know I sat down with her and she said we have these five different revenue streams and we're going in every single which way and um, we have to do it like this we have to be the most aggressive we have to be the first to market Um, and I said you have five revenue streams you're doing all of these things how big is your team and she said well I mean there's there's two full-time and then there's one part-time and I said okay well I think you should focus on one of these revenue streams first own it and then you know roll out accordingly and she's like you don't understand we have to do all five at the same time go this way this way this way otherwise we're not going to beat everyone to market and I'm like no I understand that but you can only do so much as two people or two and a half people um and that's the opposite of what I'm looking for. You know, you need to know that you're open, that you're willing to listen. You ultimately are running the company as the founder, but you need to take in all of this feedback and say, you know what, what if we did that? Would it work? Explore it. And then you decide what's best for your company. But I think I just like, I I like to look at it as openness and then also the ability to create the bigger vision. So I'm I'm laughing because I always love it when people say you don't know and it's like mm, I kind of do. I've invested in hundreds of companies. Um, my dad and grandfather and great grandfather have you know found their way around. So um, it's like no, you're the one that actually doesn't know. So anyway, well, thank but, you. No, but that said, just really quickly, I never like to think I'm the smartest person in the room. I think it's such a it, it's such a wrong attitude to have, and I think that will always be found out if you're a founder. But I never claim to be an expert either. And if I don't know the answer, I'll go find somebody who does. And I think that's the attitude you want as a yeah, founder. Yes, and clearly the humility has come through from you. Like you had an amazing career already, and I think you're only in your late 20s or early 30s. But you know that's something that is really critical. And I, the more you sort of study great leaders, there is that sort of willingness to set ego aside. So oh, you've done a great nice. job. Oh, that's too nice. You're being way too nice. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> it's completely true. Anyway, so in that same vein, I do like to shift gears a little bit and sort of find out who's influencing the influencer. So I'm going to ask a two-part question, and then we'll wrap up with something that's sort of fun, and that is you know, who either over the course of your life, and I think obviously I'm, I'm sure your dad, grandfather have played into that, but who inspires you or has inspired you? And then as part of that, you know, who recently or over the last few years have you been reading business book wise that, you know, you can recommend to other folks? I, I like to get these so I can help people build their library of great business books. Um, I uh, so many people inspire me. And I think when you answer this question, it's always sort of like I, w- I can name, you know, two or three that would be like Ellen DeGeneres uh and then you've actually been Cheryl compared I think, to the Ellen DeGeneres of the tech world, by the way. Yeah. Well, that's that's not very a bad nice. compliment. Not a bad compliment. Ellen DeGeneres, Sheryl uh, Sandberg. And there's all, you know, reasons for all of these. Uh, Sandra Day O'Connor. But then when it comes to people in my life that I admire and uh, inspire me regularly, I look at people like uh, Cindy Whitehead, who uh, created she founded uh, Sprout Pharmaceuticals, sold it to Valiant for $1.5 billion and has invested a lot of that back into the ecosystem. She's someone I work with closely and call when I need advice. 
Um, I love Kara Nortman from Upfront Ventures. Uh, she's an incredible founder. She created a company and then now she's a venture partner um, in LA. And um, I also, my founders inspire me. I love Lauren Schulte of Flex. Um, it's a menstrual cup. It's an alternate tampon device. Um, and uh, now I've covered menstrual cups on your podcast. We just, you know, no, nothing is <laughs> off limits. So, and as the um, husband and the dad of two girls, and trust me, <laughs> I've heard it all. Um, but uh, I think those people, you know, we often forget to mention the people who we, who inspire us, who are in our lives. And then a book, any books that you are reading or have read recently that you feel like this is something that's really making a difference and I'd love to share it with the audience. Um, I, I mean, I look for, obviously I read Lean In and I read all of these um, women's books. I actually recently spoke at a conference that Julia Pimsler um, ran called the Million Dollar Women's Summit. And I was like, oh, I'm speaking at this conference and she gave me her book. I should, I feel like I should read her book. And normally if someone gives me a book, she literally gave me her book on a street corner, actually. Like we were outside, we were outside that conference. I think I met you for uh, the, the first time at the Scale Collective. And, Jory, yeah. and um, she handed, I think I'd just seen you as I walked out the door and I, um, she handed me this book and said, oh, you have to read my book. And um, so this woman gives me a book on the street corner and it's called Million Dollar Women. And it is one of the best founder books I've ever read. It covers everything. Um, you know, then I, of course, look and it's like, you know, a great publisher. It's like Simon & Schuster. It's uh, definitely a legit book. But the way it came to me was not typically how I would read the book. But she she's incredible. And she created this company called Little Pim. And um, anyway, you have to read the book. But it, it takes you through seed funding what type of investors to look for, how to survive your marriage when you're a founder. I mean, everything you would need. And now I recommend all my founders read it. So I think it's incredible. Well, that's cool because, you know, obviously it was against all odds or against more <laughs> yeah. odds and, and probably made it that much more valuable. So thank you for sharing that. So the last one, as I mentioned up front, that's sort of the fun one helps us get to know a little bit of how you think and you know as, as a, a person um you're stuck on a desert island you can pick one album and i think you were talking earlier about liking the beatles and sort of queen and old school so i'm now curious as to where you're going to go um excluding greatest hits or compilations what's the one album that be not your favorite that you could listen to into perpetuity that wouldn't ultimately drive you crazy it's so hard to exclude greatest hits because i i was raised on the beatles beach boys and Queen, um, just great rock and roll. Uh, I would say Queen, greatest hits. Those <clears throat> those CDs I just could play over and over in my head. I could like start from the beginning and sing them all for you. Um, but I'd say, yeah, Queen, if I were to pick a uh, one record, what is it? Um, News of the World, maybe? That is, is that what it's called? Well, either way, I will caveat that there are a few albums, like the Beatles have the blue and red album. Oh, so you're telling me you're approving the Queen. I am approving the Queen. <laughs> the Queen's Greatest Hits. The thing is, is there okay. are a few albums like Aerosmith's Greatest Hits, Queen's Greatest Hits, those where they sort of almost have become their own albums. It's yeah. not just a, I'm going to pick the, 
you know, I don't know, uh, U2's greatest hits. That would sort of be a cop-out, right? Those, okay, thank goodness. Those became a little bit famous in their own right. And I think I'm going to have to have you on another podcast. Okay. And we will make you sing some Queen if you're oh, open I'm to Oh, I'm so it. down. Anytime. I mean, any, like, you could name a song. The, my favorite song, though, that's so underplayed um, by Queen, and this is why I was disappointed that I couldn't mention the greatest hits, because I think News of the World, the album, that's the one with We Will Rock You and uh, We Are the Champions and everything. But I like the greatest hits because it has those. And then it has, um, well, obviously, Bohemian Rhapsody. But then it has um, I Want to Break Free. Have you heard this song? I have. This is one of my favorite songs of all time. I could listen. Like, that song alone, I could listen to a million times. I don't know what it is. I just love the build and the, oh, it's such a good song. It's just my favorite. Well, and Freddie Mercury is arguably one of the best singers of all time, right? Such a tragedy that... uh, he left us early, but uh, he left us a great legacy of music to carry on. Definitely. I agree. I agree. Well, thank you, Jesse. Um, this is Aaron Strout, CMO of W2O Group, host of the What to Know podcast. And I've had the pleasure, and this has been truly an enjoyable conversation with uh, Jesse Draper, who's the founding partner of Halogen Ventures, among many other things. Thank you, Jesse. Great. No, thank you. This was so fun. Good. Want more episodes of the What to Know podcast? We post a new episode every Thursday. Check them out on iTunes, the podcast app, and the podcast page at w2ogroup.com backslash what to know.